0: Good morning. How's it going? Um, so this morning, we kind of had a similar thing. We got a person yawning over here. We just started. Just kidding. I was giving you our time. She's like, this is my first time. You already called me out. It's beautiful. Sorry. What's your name? I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. Hey, um, <laughs> so my name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we like to mess with all of you. So... Um, one of the things that we did notice this morning for real is people were feeling, I don't know, it was a long weekend or people were tired or what it was, but there was kind of some like, ah, you know what, I'm not really, I'm not really here. And so we, we did a little exercise to kind of liven up you guys. And the purpose is, is that the text today, I think, is extremely important. Um, I think God wants to engage us, if, if you will, in the midst of that. And so um, what we did is, is, this is something we actually did like a couple years ago. I'm going to do it again with you all. Um, and, and it's something that I learned when I, after I got saved, I became a Christian. I got saved at a church called the Rock Church in San Diego. The pastor's name is Miles McPherson, big kind of buff black dude, played uh, played uh, defensive back for the San Diego Chargers back in their, their heyday. Um, awesome guy. And he had this practice. And what he would do is he'd get on the stage. The first thing he would say is he'd come up and he just ask the church to say, who's the man? Oh, wow, you already know this. Right, <laughs> y'all go to the rock church, too? No, so we, like I said, we just a couple years ago, and just to liven y'all up a little bit. So it's, it's, it's who's the man? And it's just like Jesus, right? So you kind of, you got to get like some life into it. And I, and I get that like we're super white in Flagstaff, right? So wow. so like I know this might be tough, but I'm going to ask you to take a step past that and really come down deep, with you know. So on three, one, two, three, who's the man? Jesus! That's pretty good. That's pretty you A round of applause for y'all. That was good. That was really good. All right. Now that we're here, a few announcements for y'all. Um, if you... Well, actually, I don't even have to say this one. So I'll say the second one. We have second Saturdays coming up in six days. And so uh, on Saturday coming up, six days from now, we do something we do every month. We partner with a different organization here in the city of Flagstaff to go and serve them, to bless them, to get to know them. And we do the same three organizations over and over and over uh, just because, man, we want to get to know the same people, serve the same people. And so if you uh, have not uh, served with us in one of those capacities, we'd love for you to come out this Saturday from 10 to noon. We just need a bunch of volunteers to come serve at Flagstaff Shelter Services And so if you're free Saturday for a couple hours, come and serve with us. You'll meet some people, and you'll bless an organization in town that's doing some awesome work uh, specifically for the homeless population of our town. And so you can do that at the Connect Desk on your way out. Just fill out an info card, and we'll get you dialed in. Also next week, but on Sunday, we have two big things happening. First, uh, we've been talking about Champions in Action and, and how we as a church go to Guatemala uh, every single year to partner up with an organization there that does soccer and mentoring. It's a huge part of what we do even here in our city. Uh, and so because of that, we go and we do this trip. We help staff this camp. If you want to come or have any desire, any question, any thought about coming with us for that week-long trip next summer to Guatemala, uh, we'd love for you to join us for an informational meeting next Sunday right after this service here, okay? So you don't have to go anywhere. Uh, come join us. We'll talk about the trip. Should it be more than an hour long? have some light refreshments, and, uh, and we'll talk about Guatemala, and then we'll, we'll go from there. And so if you're interested, please come to that next week. And then lastly, next week will also be Baptism Sunday. And so it's my favorite Sunday that we get to take part in, because every single person that comes up here and gets baptized, it's a representation of the work of God. Okay, if you don't know what baptism is, it's essentially what we say, an outward representation of an inward reality. We actually believe that when you put your faith in Christ, that God does something supernatural and makes you new, cleanses you of all unrighteousness and sin and all that, right? And so what this is, is we we pull out a horse trough, we put it here, we fill it with water, we throw some heaters in there, uh, and then we just start dunking people inside with the symbolism being right that when you go when you go into the water you're kind of still covered in sin but the symbol you go in and you are washed clean as you come out of the water now this is something that the church not redemption but the church as a whole has been doing for 2000 years like it was if you were part of the early church you got saved it was like great like let's get you baptized and so if you are a christian you love jesus and you've never been baptized get baptized It's something we do. It's a baptism into family. It's a proclamation to the world. Yeah, I belong to this guy, okay? So if that's your story and you want to sign up, just come talk to us at the Connect desk. We'll also say this. Many of you uh, were potentially baptized as like an infant or very young child, and it wasn't your choice, wasn't your decision. You weren't kind of proclaiming faith. You were just getting like drowned by your parents, right? And so uh, if that's your story, uh, that's all right. Like, it's not that that was a bad thing, but we do want to practice believer's baptism, which means if you believe, get baptized. And so as a proclamation of your decision to follow Jesus. And so uh, come and talk to us about that if you have interest as well next week. Now, uh, I'm going to pray one more time uh, just over the word because we are talking about a pretty, a pretty heavy subject and a pretty heavy topic today. We're talking, oh, uh, well, the title of the sermon is Purity in a World of Lust." Uh, It's like we said last week, even now, family members, if you do have any kids in here, I'm not seeing too many, but if you have some kids that you're like, you know what, I don't know if we're ready for them to hear some of these themes. We still have kids ministry open and we're going up to 13 years old today. uh, And so you can go and bring your kids back there. We are going to address... Uh, issues that, that we ourselves uh, commit and, and sins that we commit in this realm. Um, but we also will talk about some of the things and sins that are committed against uh, us um, and, and, and kind of abuse and things like that. And so there are some heavy themes kind of littered in and out of the sermon. And so just as a heads up there, that is what, uh, where we're going today. And so let me pray that the word of God would penetrate the deepest part of us and make us more like Christ. Jesus, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that you are good and faithful and righteous. We thank you that your word, God, transforms us. And God, this is a heavy topic today, Lord, and I pray that you would use it, God, not just to change and influence us, but God, that you would use it to, uh, to empower the church to go and to serve and to care. And to be the beacon of hope and light that we're supposed to be, we're called to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is something going, Is this weird? This sounds weird to me. There's some feedback. Can we turn something off or should I just turn it off? Because it's annoying me, so you guys got to be going crazy. No? Here we go. Oh, that's, is that better? Is that kind of better? All right, well, it's just me talking, I think. Anyway, um... So here's a story. So recently, uh, me and some friends, we had a chance to go to to Las Vegas. Now, uh, I know some of you're thinking like, oh man, the pastors can't go to Vegas. I think you just like like cons- gets consumed with fire like right away, right? Uh, and I did. It was crazy. I actually, got consumed with fire. Um, and so no, so we get, we get to Las Vegas, and um, it was interesting because you know I've been to to Vegas before, you know, mission trips and stuff like that. And so uh, I've been to Vegas before, but it was the first time I was going with this intentional lens of like. Hey man, I mean, I don't get ready to preach a sermon about lust. And so you begin to ask the question, like, what, what, is, what does this look like? So when we say purity in a world of lust, right? Like, what does a world of lust look like? And then and then I was like, oh, Vegas. Like that, like that, it's like it looks like Las Vegas, you know? And so we're walking around it, and, and listen, if you're not kind of into all the partying and clubbing and, and, and you know, take a flyer and go somewhere you shouldn't go, type of stuff, one of the best things to do there is just to people watch. And and so you kind of just sit back, you know, he's drinking a a Diet Coke, obviously, and so, uh, you know... (laughs) And you just start to people watch, and you see the way people interact in this town, and you see guys, and they're flipping these little cards that they give you to take you off to some club to see stuff you shouldn't see and do things you shouldn't do, and the whole deal. And you stand back, and you begin to watch. One of the things you often see is this, is a fella, or a lady it can be the other way, but oftentimes it's a guy, and an attractive female walks by, and then you see this, right? And then oftentimes it's followed by a comment. That, that, that often comes out as, as well, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but, but you see this all the time, and 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 it was one of the things that began to just grieve me to see it over and over and over, this constant kind of pursuit and this this kind of misplaced desire and everything we'll kind of talk about today, but I'm going to be honest with you guys, I had this moment where we're walking through one of the casinos, okay, and, and I had my first, like, one of these. Like, I, I had this first, like, oh, and here's what happened, is coming down the aisle what was, was this was this lady and, and she was holding a large piece of cheesecake, okay? This is this is not a joke. This is a true story, okay? Uh, and, and no turtle cheesecake. And she's just chowing and she walks by and I'm literally like... like that. And I'm sure everyone's thinking I'm checking her out and she looks back and she realized I, I said the word like good cheesecake, you know? Uh, you know, like I cat-called cheesecake. And so... Uh, and so this is going down, right, and she just goes, she goes, yeah, I know, look at that, and we had this like connection moment, it was amazing, and so, um, so I began, so we're actually preaching on gluttony next week, and so it's gonna be, it'll be interesting, um, but honestly, so we're in, we're in there and just watching all this stuff go down, and you're like, man, like this, this just doesn't seem like it's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, like, like if we, if you spend time and, and you get into the narrative and, and you know studying this text through Proverbs that we'll talk about in just a moment. And it was like, man, this, there's this significant disconnect between the kingdom of God and the world that it's trying to create and it desires to kind of create even in our own hearts um, and then this place. And then and I began to think about it because the reality is it's like Las Vegas is one city and it's not like lust stops once you get outside the city walls of this town, right? It's not like, okay, well now I've driven outside the 93, I've made it onto the 40 and I've gone east to Flagstaff and there's no culture or world of lust that's vying for you and your allegiance. Uh, I, I literally think it is is—it is exactly the opposite, that at every single turn, this lust, this thing is craving your attention and your allegiance, okay? I, I mean, I think that's just the truth. And, and so you and I kind of live in that reality, and so what we get today is kind of some help in hopefully navigating that well, Okay. Um, What we get here is Solomon is the author of most of the Proverbs. So in chapters 5, 6, and 7, he writes this letter to his kids. And he's like, hey, guys, like, pay attention because I'm a little bit farther down the line than you. I've walked in some of the things that you're about to be enticed with, and I've made the wrong decision. So hear and heed my instruction. And so that's what we get in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So a few things before we jump into the text. 1. I think definitions can be helpful in kind of setting the context for how we learn. And so um, Merriam-Webster, right, uh, uh, defines lust as this, intense or unbridled sexual desire. Okay, So intense or unbridled sexual desire. So here's what this means. It means sexual desire in and of itself is a God-given gift, but when you take this God-given gift and then you say, you know what, there need be no restriction, no bridle. It doesn't have to be held back or in any way restricted at any possible time. That's when it becomes lust. And this is the thing I think our culture finds itself steeped in. It's you know what, man? Do you. It's your, And we'll get into kind of some of the more specifics in the midst of that. So lust wins out because it's this really good thing that God has given us, sexual desire and, and a craving and attractiveness and, and male and female and lust. All that stuff is good, but it's when you take this and then you say, you know what, but there's no reason to think there need be any type of walls to this. that Then it becomes lust, and it goes beyond what it was intended to be for and about, Etc. Etc. And it leads to some devastating things at times. The other definition I think we should look at is uh, the Greek term for the word lust. Throughout all of the New Testament, is the word epithumeo. Epithumeo literally means um, to set the heart upon. Okay. So for for me to to lust after something to epithumeo after something right, means for me to take my heart and to rest it upon another. Another thing or another person, and I believe that when you begin to do this, when you rest your heart upon another, you begin to be enticed and believe entitled to that thing. Like your heart is so wrapped up in it that it now I think feels like it belongs to you. Now, um, not the best illustration, but if everyone has everyone seen Christmas Story, yes, come on, raise your hands. Yeah, good film. Okay, Ralphie, right? What does he want? Red Ryder BB gun. Okay. And so the entire film is this consuming pursuit of the BB gun, right? But what's the reality? When he goes to bed, what happens? He dreams about it, right? He creates and has visions and narratives about how he'll use it, okay? Uh, when he's at school, he decides to write about it. He daydreams about it. He does it. all these things in his life, places he's supposed to be present. He's not because he has been all focused on this other thing, right? And when he doesn't get it, in that short scene, before we find out he does get it, but in that short scene, he's devastated and distraught when he can't have it. Okay? And so I think, I think this, this innate, this huge desire has turned to lust for him because it has consumed his whole life, and he begins to act as if it's already his. But when it's taken away, he's devastated. And I think this is what we do oftentimes with people. I think we epithumeo people that we set our heart upon people and we say, you know what? Like, I, I own you. Like, you're, you're mine now. And so then in that pursuit, there become expectations and there become things that then men and women pursue that are vastly distant from what the Bible would call us to. But it's okay, right? Because, man, my heart is now there. And so this is where lust becomes a pretty significant problem. Another thing I want to say before we get in the text is that the church hasn't always handled this entire topic super well. That oftentimes it's just been preached like, hey man, sex and intimacy, they're just kind of like bad things. Like honestly, older generations will have kind of the story of they kind of were grown up in this reality of like you should not like sex, like hate sex and intimacy, like it's gross and it's dirty and it's all these things and it's only for procreation and you hear these things. Some of the younger generations, you don't get that as much. Oh, but that used to be a kind of common teaching in many places in the church. And I think oftentimes what we've done is we've hurt people with that type of teaching because we've taken something that's meant to be good, we've called it bad, and people were like, wait, this doesn't add up. Because when you tell a 20-year-old, hey, man, sex is gross and bad, and then they have it, they're like, man, you're wrong. That's not true. And then you look like a fool. But the reality is, no, it's this beautiful God-given gift, and like any idol, it just gets made ultimate and replaces God, and then we have problems. And so what we've done is, I think as a church, is we've bought into the culture of lust that says, like, no, my heart is over here, what it's never meant to be. We've bought into this culture of lust, church, where we've, we've perpetuated these things. And I think at times we're responsible then for some of the ramifications. Let me share some stats with you guys. Um, did you know that, uh, talking about pornography, that The porn industry now makes more money in a single year than the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, and the NBA combined. Now, just think about for a moment, okay? How many people you know watch football? There are people who aren't at church right now because they're watching the Cardinals, okay? And I get it, it makes sense. Cardinals are decent, right? but they're not here because, like, oh, i got to watch football. And so I think to myself, honestly, like, how many people don't set foot in a church because they're too busy at home in front of their computer watching pornography? Because statistically, it's making far more money, and you think about that even through the lens of how much of it is free. And so, man, this only was... And so, man, when you begin to think through the statistics of how much this has overwhelmed and overcome a culture, you have to say, man, something's not right. Okay? Um, another stat... Uh, by the, This is about, uh, about our church. Now, um, we did a survey just over the last month. Some of you guys took it. Some of you probably didn't. I don't know if you were here or not when we did it. We did it for a couple weeks. Uh, and it was all confidential, but we wanted to just know where's our church at? Like, what are things you guys are dealing with, struggling with? And knowing that we had some of these, these topics. Last week, we talked about anger, and 40% of you responded that you struggle with and battle anger as a sin, okay? Um, when dealing with some of these topics today, so 20% of you responded that pornography is a real struggle for you, okay? 20% of people here in our church, so one in five. And, and, and you know, we're probably, if we're honest, that's probably conservative, right? Because some people maybe were sitting next to a friend, and eh, I don't really want to check that in case they're looking at me. And so it's probably even a bit higher than that. So we're talking one in five, probably one in four, one in three people in this room right now are probably struggling with pornography. A, a thing that if, when we're all just sitting here, if we're honest, we're just having a conversation, we'd probably all say, no, man, that's devastating and bad, and we probably shouldn't have anything to do with it. And yet all of a sudden, we're talking about a church numbers, and if you get outside of our church, the number is higher. The number is around 31% of people in the church are struggling with pornography use. And you think about that, you're like, man, like, okay, so this is a thing that we know degrades the beautiful image of God that's imprinted upon man and woman. Uh, we know that it, we literally like scientifically know that it destroys brain connections so that you cannot identify as much with your spouse as you can with a screen. We know these things. These things are scientifically coming out now. And yet the church is now a party to something that is destroying culture at alarming rates. Okay, um, premarital sex, uh, did you know that by the age of 44, this probably isn't a huge chakra, but 99% of people will have had sex by the age of 44, 95% of them will do it before they get married, okay, so so 99% of people uh, are, are, you know, by age 44. And then 95% of that number are having it before they get married. When Scripture is going to say, "No, this is this is it is not unbridled. There is a bridle to sexual activity, and that part of that bridle is within the covenant and context of a marital relationship." Right. And so now we have 95% of the population that has gone outside of that. Okay. Now even within the context of our church, 21% higher even than listed porn usage. Uh, 21% of you responded that premarital sex is a thing that you struggle with. Now, here's the reality, and I want to say this on the front end. There are going to be a lot of things that kind of get tossed out like this, and I don't say any of them from a place of, how dare you or to shame you? Because that's just foolishness in light of the kingdom of God. Because the reality is, and Anthony even shared this towards the end of of the sermon um, this morning, but we have to remember that in the garden, When man had its first opportunity to sin and was successful, right, they all of a sudden realized that they were naked and it says that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so they ran and they covered themselves behind bushes and they wondered, oh, I don't want God to find me. And they ran from God. And yet what we find then is in the garden, God comes down into the garden. He finds them. He says, why are you hiding? He says, because we realized we were naked and we were filled with shame. And so what does God do? He slaughters an animal. There is death so that he can make clothing for them to cover their shame and their nakedness. And so from day one, the first opportunity man has had to sin, God wanted you to know you are not to live in shame, you are to live in Jesus and the work that he's done to cover that. So anything I say, I'm like, oh, these stats, please do not hear like, how dare you or you're dirty, and that is so far from what's going on, but these are just realities of where we are at, and they're not God's ideal for you or for me or for the world. Okay, Uh, and so uh, a couple more stats, and this is where it starts getting a bit heavier, but 10 to 15% of Americans struggle with an eating disorder, Okay. Um, which again, I, 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 there's, it's a complex issue, uh, but I do not think that a culture that like says, no, what you look like right is going to determine, like when Tinder is one of the number one apps and you just look at a picture and decide whether or not you wanna get with that, that that's helping to perpetuate a healthy body image, right? I don't, I don't think it's doing that. Now you look within our church, 18% of you responded that you struggle with body image and or an eating disorder here at the church. So one in five Again, are battling that reality, and again, listen up. Like we perpetuate and push into and help out a culture that is degrading the image of God in people. That, 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 like when we are privy and part of this, that's what's happening. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Is there grace absolutely? But are these things things we should care about because God loves people far more than we probably do? Yes. Okay, and so. Going on a couple more, and this is where it gets real heavy, 321,000 Americans will experience sexual abuse this year, okay? So, so every 98 seconds, someone will be sexually abused in our country, right? So we're talking by the time this service is over, okay, around 60 people will be sexually abused by the time you leave, from when you got here to when you leave, 60 people. And, and, and seriously, so like those are 60 people, and I guarantee you know some of them. And and here's what it is, some of you might be some of those people. And so, so you hear that, you're like, I'm not surprised because I've had to live that story. Did you know that one in six women before they die will be either raped or have attempted a rape upon them? One in six. So, fellas, listen, like, I want you to wrap your mind around that for a moment, right? Like, you know probably more than six women is my guess, right? You probably know hundreds. And so one out of every six has had to deal with this. And yet, oftentimes, the way we treat this issue is kind of from a distance. And oftentimes, what we do is we throw kind of a butt at it, right? So you hear the accusation, you hear somebody say, but, like, let's, no, no, no. Like, this is an issue, fellas. And, And I think that the culprit is this culture that we've, created, that sin has created, that has said, you know what, no, I own you. Like, my heart's on you. Like, it's going to encompass me, and because it's encompassed me, I will do whatever I can to get it, even unto violence. And we're just, we just sit back, and then we continue to play party to this thing that's been made. And then we blow it off by some of the stuff and the rationalizations that we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, when we start looking at All this stuff, it's easy to become disillusioned and frustrated, angry, maybe despondent, especially if you've experienced the pain and the weight of this, and we're going to say this very often today, that if you have, we cannot express how much God and we love you, and you're not dirty, you're not broken, you are beautiful and restored because of him, and he does that daily. Daily are his mercies showing up to us. Every day, he says, he makes us new. We are new creations in him, restored, redeemed, beautiful, perfect. And so in every way the world has tried to strip his perfect image from you, man, now Christ is looking to restore that. And hopefully, man, you hear that often today. And so this, please, at no point here like this shame-ridden, guilt-ridden pursuit or push towards us caring more about this. It is a desire for more for you, a desire more for others, and a culture that is destroying lives. Okay. Next up, um, the last thing I'll say is you need to understand, as Solomon writes this, that his narrative, he becomes uniquely able to speak about this issue. Because if you don't know Solomon's life, this guy, he becomes king. He asks for wisdom, becomes the greatest king like in all history, right? Like the prospering of the nation of Israel goes significantly higher than ever before. And then shortly after his kind of inauguration as king, he gets married to the Shulamite woman whom we find uh, her story in, in Song of Songs. And if you haven't read Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, I encourage you to go back and read it because it's the most beautiful poetry and literature when it comes to intimacy, love, sex, the whole deal in all of history, Right? And, and it's given these beautiful, like, there's beautiful lines in it. Verse 3, chap, or chapter 3, verse 4 says, I found him whom my soul loves. Like, from the deepest parts, like this longing for the other from the soul level. 4, 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your oils than any spice. And and like if you read it, you're just like, man, there is this beautiful picture of love and intimacy that God craves, has set up, and desires for all. And yet we've fallen for a sham version of it. And we've pursued these different idols that we'll jump into in just a moment. But even these two, as they write the Song of Songs, what they do is in this, again, this passionate, like you could read this and think to yourself, man, th- this sounds almost like borderline lustful, but here's the reality. Three times do they utter these words, do not awaken love until it so desires, right? Right? Do not awaken love until it so desires. Do not awaken love until it so desires. So, man, they talk in this passionate type of lustful language, but they understand there is a specific bridle. There are restrictions. Do not embark, embrace, entice, go after, pursue, allow this stuff until it is the right time. And so, man, they speak in this language, but again, they set up, man, there is a restriction to it in a way that it's done in perfection. Some of you unfortunately, have been on the other end of that reality where someone's taken advantage of that. And again, please hear me that you loved. Now, um, Solomon now, it's what he's going to do again in 5, 6, and 7. At the start of his reign, he had this one wife. He writes this amazing letter to her back and forth, Song of Songs, and by the end of his reign, by the end of his death, he has 300 wives and 700 prostitutes, Right? And so I wonder that as he's writing Proverbs, man, if he's not the right guy to tell us and tell his children, as he'll write in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, hey, man, listen up and beware, okay? Because I did, I did everything. I pursued it all, and it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So please heed his advice as we go on. So verse 1, chapter 5, here we go. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge, okay? So so he's just initially, in his first part of the letter is, like, pay attention, lean in, okay? Learn, engage, do not just let this go in one ear and out the other. Okay, so then verse 3. His first kind of Hey, beware of this, and we're going to contextualize it for ourselves within the lens of idolatry, things that I think we uphold too highly kind of in this culture of lust, and we'll go from there. So it says verse 3, "...for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword." Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Proverbs 6.25 says, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. I, I think that what we've done is we've made relationships an idol. Like in, in the church, I think we've done this all the time. We said, man, like the pinnacle of life is for you to get married, right? Like, that, like oftentimes that gets perpetuated either intentionally or unintentionally. Like, you gotta have another person, you gotta have a mate, right? You gotta find your spouse. And that's just, that's just not true. Like, you don't. Maybe you're going to be single. Like, Paul, he, he encourages people to go that direction. So when we uplift and say, man, this has got to be your thing. Like, you have to have this. And it becomes, again, a good thing made ultimate. You do whatever you can to achieve it. Even sacrificing some values. Uh, like, like, sacrificing some of your ideals saying, well, ah, you know what, this isn't that big a deal, so I guess, ah, whatever, and so on and so forth. And, and hear me, guys, like, um, he's writing to, uh, to his boys. That's why he's talking specifically about women. Uh, but, but men, you are not kind of outside this realm of just doing whatever and enticing and coming up with ideas of how to attract women that maybe aren't the most uh, beneficial. I know this even in Christian circles, right? So I, I did this in college where... Uh, you know, you, cause I'm a Christian male, right? Like we all learn C, D, G and A so we can play heart of worship. Okay. So then when I go up to like, this is a true story. I go to my friend Kim in high school I say, or in college. I say, Kim, Hey, uh, I don't know what you're doing tonight, but I was thinking we could go up on top of Mount Soldad. Yeah. That's the one with the cross. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to bring my guitar. And, and let's, I thought we'd go up there and sing some songs. I don't know. That sounds pretty good. And so we go up and sing some songs. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I, I brought my New Testament Gideon handout. You don't have that? Oh, okay. Let's read Song of Songs. And and this is like a true story. This is like really happened, right? And, and I think like it, that's a light version of some of the crap that we put out there in order to achieve a thing that we have made ultimate in our lives. And the reality is that some people go far beyond that. That's Playful, I guess, in a certain type of way. But we all know relationships, so we all know men, we all know women who've, who've just, you know, right? there's this kind of this shady way of going about achieving what you want. I mean, there's a whole TV show called Catfish that's about this, right? Where you literally lie about yourself so that. You could attract someone in. And this is a crazy story because I'm like, at some point, they're going to see you, friend. Okay. If you don't know what catfish is, you should just go watch it. I'm not going to talk about it. It's pretty funny and sad at the same time. And so I think when we've made relationships an idol, we begin to then either compromise ourselves or we compromise ourselves in a pursuit of another because we've been told or we believe that I just got to have somebody. And that's kind of one of the first, first idols of this whole lust thing. So um, the next one here, uh, turn to verse uh, 11, and we'll continue on. At the end of a life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hate a discipline, how my heart despised reproof. I do not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I think we make freedom and our license an idol, church right? I I, I think we say when people call us out in our sin, even some of you who are sitting here right now, you're like, dude, chill out, man. No big deal, right? Because I'm in freedom, right? I have light, like the grace of God covers my sin, so it's not that big a deal. I can do whatever I want to do. And that's true. Listen, you fully can. I'm just telling you, it's not your best. it's, It's not God's best for you. But I, I think we make freedom. And I, no, no, no I'm going to, I think this is more important that I just understand the freedom I have in Christ. And so I can continue on sinning. It's not that big a deal. He doesn't care, man, when everything in Scripture would push up against that and says, no, it's a huge, huge deal to abuse the grace of God like that. Okay. Um, it's funny to me that our culture is often talking about sex like it's not a big deal, right? It's, it's no big deal. Like, just whatever, man, no big deal. Just do you. It's fine. No big deal. No big deal. But also, hey, do whatever you can to get it, right? But, but no, no, no. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. Like, just, don't worry about it. I mean, it's not just, hey, why are you so uptight? But hey, every, every chance you get, make sure you get more of it, right? Like, like, there's this weird hypocritical paradox that exists kind of in our culture that wants to balance, like, it's not that big a deal, but do everything you possibly can to attain it. It's, it's so foolish, and yet we buy into it hook, line, and sinker over and over and over when it never delivers on what it promises. It's never, okay? And so I think oftentimes we lift that up. Now, um, there's a second part to this that I, I, we have to talk about. That there, there are people loudly proclaiming some wrongs and some hurts in this realm, and we need to listen, right? Like, like we can't rationalize it away. We can't explain it away. We have to just listen and learn and maybe live in some empathy as, as the church, right? Which is supposed to be the beacon of hope for the world. That people would look to us and say, well, how are you handling this? Man, maybe we should do that the same because you guys value people more than anyone else. That's not always our reputation if we're honest. But there, there are people loudly screaming out stuff about sexual abuse, about rape, about these things where, like, man, for some reason, the church, it's like, it's often it's like, we don't want to engage, which makes no sense. This is something that I think deeper than anyone can fathom that the church is supposed to value because we see the image of God on people and that it is stripped and torn at in those acts. And so we cannot just rationalize or say no big deal. No, we need to press in, learn, and respond as a people of God who are trying to bring restoration to the world. Okay. This next one starts in verse 18. Um, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. I, I think we've made an idol out of experience, okay? So Solomon's writing to his kids. He's like, listen, like, I wonder what's going through his mind is, man, I remember Abishag. Like, I remember the woman from Song of Songs that I wrote all that beautiful poetry to. And then I remember the first time that I was enticed enough to leave that bed and go somewhere else. And then I wonder if then he thought about the third time and the fourth time on into like the thousandth time that he departed from the one that he loved. And as he writes, like, can you imagine the grief and the pain, hopefully, in some ways, he's experiencing. But the hardship of looking back now at his life, trying to give advice to his sons and say, man, no, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Like, stay faithful and pure. Don't chase the experience and idolize the experience the way I have. And I think we've done that in our culture. We've made the experience ultimate instead of God. Again, experiences are good things. Have experiences. Pursue experiences. But when you do it unbridled, when you do it with lust in your heart and soul, it begins to go awry because then you begin to pursue things and at any cost you will try and achieve it to get that experience, including hurting others along the way because it's about your experience, right? It's about your pursuit, not to mention the grief Upon the heart of God who knows best for you. When I look upon my son, and I'm gonna share with you guys in just a moment a letter that I wrote to Finley and James, my heart desires so much more for them than they probably even desire for themselves, and God desires far more for you and for me than we can ever fathom. And he knows the best way to get there, and yet we're like, no nah, man, I'll I'll do it my own way. And so I think I think we've uplifted these experiences uh, because, well, you know, they'll fulfill. And so, again, you get compromises. You, you, you begin to do things, little things that are just, maybe they seem insignificant, but they're, they're about you. They're selfish. They're not about the other. Like, fellas, if any of you guys are catcalling a girl or something like that, you need to knock that off, man. And, and honestly, you see another dude do it, you need to stop him. That's, that's not cool. That's not cool. In fact, uh, one of, I'm not going to tell you who was, but someone we know pretty well here at the church, uh, she stopped into the office, was talking to us. She said, hey, when I was walking over here, these two guys were just like yelling at me, saying things about my body and yada, yada, yada. And literally like not two seconds later, Anthony was up out of his seat and runs outside. And and Anthony, he'll get beat up. I mean, so like, you know, like like he's not a very strong, like I'll fight people individual, but you got to love kind of like the tenacity of the moment, right? Like just good job, buddy um, and so, but no, he bolts out, and he didn't find the guys, probably, good, it's a good thing, and, uh, but I mean, like, that, that is the response, like, that, that's the thing that I think should move, like, in these moments, and what, listen, are those guys that probably did, it, are they terrible dudes? Probably not, like, they're not probably just awful, but they again, they're choosing themselves over our friend, right, they're choosing their experience over her experience, like, this lust thing, like, it's like, no, ah, it's nobody, no, 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 it is a selfish thing, guys, that lifts you above other people. That includes pornography, okay? It it, it has all sorts of connections. And again, I keep saying it because I have to know it. It's not that these things are bad. They're really, really good. But they're meant to be experienced in a certain way where there will be the best possible joy, okay? Um, Let's go to the last one here. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28. If you have your Bible and you want to turn the page or your phone, scroll down. Verse 27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? In other words, no, you can't. If you get close to stuff, it's going to hurt, it's going to affect. And yet we often, again, live in this no big deal type of reality because I think we've made an idol of our will. And so in other words, I, I don't think then when we're in this we ask for help I don't think we try and learn and listen and change because we think, hey whenever I'm done with it, I'll be done with it and I'll just work really hard to get out of it when that has this probably never worked for anyone in here ever or anyone in the history God is the only one who changes the heart He's the only one that can clean us up the the idea I'm just going to work harder to be different this is just doesn't work. Now, no, hear me. It, it, it'll get you down the field a little bit. That's true. Like you, and you'll go for a little while, but man, I, almost every time, you will return right back. Okay? I mean, we cannot change our hearts outside of God. And so I think we've made an idol of our will. Again, we have to do everything to make sure we're strong, we're capable. Like, I I think of myself as this very capable person. And I cannot think of a single sin in my entire life, for my 15 years of being a Christian, in which I defeated one. Like, there's ones I do less, right? But it ain't conquered. Like, it's still there, right? And it's a battle, and we fight, and we wage war. And then I long for the day when all will be made right. Because a couple of the beautiful things that exist as we kind of wrap up here is the reality that, I mean, the Bible says a lot of amazing things. It addresses these issues specifically, but it also points to a beautiful reality down the line. And so let's look at just a few things that the Bible says. So again, like 20% of people here are battling uh, porn use, right? Um, the world says it's no big deal. Right? But the Bible says uh, that if you look upon a, a man or woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It also says that if your eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do with it? You pluck that sucker out, right? Like you literally, and it's, it's, not, it's like saying, you gouge your eye out if your eye is causing you to sin. Okay? And it, right, that's hyperbole. And like, if anyone here is not well or like somewhat versed in Scripture, that's not literal. So please don't actually do it. That's a lawsuit, okay? So like, just people show up. They're like, "Hey, man, this guy told me. I don't know what's going on." Um, So like, don't do that. But understand the depth of the hyperbole that the Bible's saying. Like, dude, if this is happening, take that sucker out. Like, it's that big a deal. So in the world, saying, "Hey, it's not a big deal. Just it's a little. It's you know, it's it's disconnected, right?" Uh, it's just a screen. It, no, no, it is a huge deal, and not just for you. But man, let us—we could, if we had time, right—to talk through the atrocities, the brokenness, the sex trade, all the things that contribute to the porn uh, kingdom in our world. And man, it will just—it would floor us all. Okay. So that—that's the first one. The Bible says that twenty-one percent um, again engaging in in premarital sex. Now, the world says, "Well, it's your body, so do what you want with it," right? It's your body. And hear me, like, I'm not trying to say, I hold no ownership. So anything I'm saying, listen, I'm, this is just hopefully the Bible. And so it's not like, hey, I don't want you to. Okay, it's, listen, the world will say, it's your body, do what you want. The Bible will say this, that you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Okay, the Bible will say that God literally knit you together in your mother's womb. The, God, the Bible will tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, the Bible will say these things, like, the, the, the crushing part of this sin is that it is a misplaced, it, it misplaces the beauty that God has put on you in his image when he made you from your mother's womb, okay? Now, I say it again, because some of you, like, this wasn't a choice. I'm really sorry that like, and that probably means nothing. Some of you that wasn't a choice. And that is the worst. Uh, and if you have any desire to talk about it, and it, and I, it doesn't mean with me, we have women here that I'd love to talk to you about any of that kind of stuff. Man, we we'd love to have that conversation and help pursue healing and restoration. Because, man, that has put something on you that shouldn't have been. Um, it, it might make you think things that are just untrue because God loves you and sees you. I, I, and this is not This is my, my word. I mean, this is the words of Scripture, sees you as beautiful and as cleansed and as restored and made in His image as new every day, as covered in His blood. I mean, like, that is the way God sees you. Like, you're the betrothed, the beloved. Like, these are the realities of that situation. Okay. Okay. Um, 18% of you uh, struggle with, with eating disorder or, or, or body image. Um, the world says your image can be beautiful if you kind of fit this standard, right? Uh, if you get to the gym enough, right? Uh, if you kind of insert your thing, you know? Um, and the Bible says, no, man, like your image is already beautiful, as beautiful as it can ever be. And so the, the, the lie, the pursuit, like, listen, it's to sell you a product. Like, they've created this thing, this image. Why? Because it sells more stuff, okay? Like, that. that's what it sells more magazines, okay? It, it sells more subscriptions to porn websites. Uh, it, it sells you more products that are going to promise you and, and, and we're going to deliver to you beauty. That's what it is, okay? And, and hear me, like, I'm not like... Anti-makeup, or, and no, like dress nice, do you, that's fine, like, fellas, dress nice, do what, like, that's not it, work out, go to the gym, believe it or not, I actually go on occasion myself, like, once a month, like, it's just, it doesn't happen frequently, but when I'm in there, I'm getting after it, you know, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm gonna get a good one today, you know, um, And so uh, no, so so I started working on Orange Theory, which is amazing. But they tell you you get 36 hours of like continued fat burn after the thing. And so I'm like, I can eat whatever I want for 36 hours. Like that's the way my mind works. I'm like, oh, I'm good for 36 hours. Brilliant. Um, And so listen, the the world's like, no, you can be beautiful. No, man. The Bible says you are beautiful. It is a, like it, to understand the contrasts of the world's communication of lust and beauty are so drastically different from the Bibles and that is devastating because it hurts so many people okay um, the last couple things um, listen the uh, in the sexual abuse kind of rape stuff my, the last thing I want to say on that is the church needs to be at the forefront and the leader. I think it is one of the very few things that right now that like the world and the church agree on when it comes to like an issue within kind of sexual intimacy and lust is that that stuff is just flat out wrong. And so there's some great campaigns and things going on out there. but, But honestly, like most of them are focused on the external. And that we should be. I'm not saying the external's bad. Focus on some external. But the church possesses the only true cure, which is the internal brokenness of the heart that is filled with sin, depraved beyond all belief, that seeks to seek self-serving things over the other. And Christ is the only thing that can heal the heart. And that is what the church possesses. And so the church needs to be at the forefront of the pursuit of these things and these remedies. Okay? At the end of the day, all this stuff is wrapped up in Christ. Because it's not earn it, it's not, you know, like, do better, it's not work harder, it's Jesus. We long for intimacy, closeness, right? Well, Jesus indwells you with his presence, right? Like, the Spirit of God indwells the believer. So 24-7, 365, you have the God of the universe who knows and loves you far more than you could ever imagine. He's with you all the time. Right? So, so that, that gap of like, I just long for someone to be near and intimate and close. man, Jesus is, literally his spirit lives in you. That's closer than anyone can get. We long for, man, just kind of this, this desire for uh, just like to desire, right? Like we want and we have this ideal. like, what more could you want than like, he's perfect. He fits and checks every box, but here's what's so crazy about this is that Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And I don't say, this sounds like a joke. I don't mean it. Like literally, if Jesus was on Tinder, you would swipe left. Like you wouldn't want him. Uh, Like you'd look at it and be like, no thanks. And that's the culture we've created is that Jesus Christ, the greatest man to ever walk the face of earth, God in the flesh, you would reject in the culture we've created, and we perpetuate, and we feed into, and we trust and give allegiance to all the time. We wouldn't even want Christ. So Jesus, though, when we begin to pull back the veneer and the lie of our world and culture and what it says is beautiful and good, man, he shines through and he is going to fulfill and be more for you than any of these other idols you can prop up. And here's the reality. Just because he becomes the ultimate thing doesn't mean you don't get any of the other ones. Usually it means just the opposite, but it's in the right context in the right joy for the right time and the right season with the right person. And that's the beauty that God promises, and so um, I land with this. Um, like I said, I so I from time to time I'll write letters to my boys, uh, and I hadn't written one on this topic before because while he's you know Finley's like three three and a half and, and James is four months, so hopefully they're not too far along into this, right? Um, but I but I write these letters to the kids, and I kind of want to keep adding to it. And so um, knowing that this was coming, I, I wrote kind of the intro to the letter. Uh, in this world. And I, and I want to I read it to us um, as, as a prayer for my boys, but as a prayer for our church uh, and a hope for us. Um, and again, it's just the intro, but um, we'll land there and then I'll pray. It says, Finley and James, my boys' names, I love you more than you can imagine. A father's love for his kids can't really be described beyond, well, it's a father's love for his kids." Found in that love is a deep longing for you both to be men of conviction, integrity, and faith. So I write to you today to be read when you're not three years and four months old, respectively, on the topic of purity in a world of lust. You see, our world is a broken one, it's not very hard to see, yet at the same time, its shortcomings often appear invisible or faint at best. At least that would seem to be the only explanation for why I, amongst many others, have chosen its enticements over the greater things of God many times over. You're way too young now to understand these times, but they are indeed tricky. Made all the more confusing by our own proclivity to choose our own good over the good of others. Your hearts and hormones will often pull you in directions of foolishness and lust, imploring obedience in exchange for pleasure, but you mustn't let them win. I pray often for you both that the ugliness and perversion of creation would show itself to be just that, a fractured semblance of God's perfection. I pray you would not be enticed or wooed by its temporal and finite offerings, but rather that your gaze would be upon our gracious God in whom all joy is found, that your deepest desires would be to know the depths of the riches of His glorious grace. As I pray these lofty prayers, I know our God listens so be like God and listen andlyde your ear and heart to these humble words of advice let's pray God will we all heed your advice God that you've given us get advice to God not to a few, God not to like hate these amazing beautiful gifts you've given to us God but to see them as as right in the way that they are to be experienced, God, for our joy, for your glory. God, forgive me for any times that I've hurt someone. God, you know all my story. And God, man, I pray, God, that you would just bless and be with and care for and engage and be present, God, where there's the fullness of joy with all those who are hurting after hearing us talk about some of the things we talked about. God, that your love and your life, God, that when you say again, indeed your presence, God, brings joy. And so be present in the hearts and in this room and in the lives of so many. God, I pray that we would see you rightfully, that you're just better. And so, God, when we love you and we pursue you, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of all good things. God, that you would be our Savior. You'd be our Lord. God, you'd be our fulfillment. God, bless this time as we respond now in your grace and in your mercy. God, let us look, be, and become more like you that we could go and serve this world. God, I pray for all those who are here, God, that that are battling some of these sins themselves, God, that they would not live in shame or, or guilt or fear, God, but they would live and pursue grace and mercy and know that the Father... Of heaven, the one that made them, God, longs for them to know them deeply and richly, to bring them into his arms and to love them, to serve them and show them their value. God, it doesn't need to be found in these other fleeting pursuits, God. God, we pray that you would meet us, God, those who are man-hurting, and God, that you would equip us to be your people as we respond now. In Jesus' name, amen. So now is all